my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. A lot to get to, as always, on the show today. I was joined by my friend Nate Madden from The Blaze. Always a great time talking to Nate. We talked about uh, the impeachment inquiry. We talked about everybody's favorite furry, uh, Robert Francis, Beto O'Rourke, dropping out of the presidential race. We talked about our friends over in the corporate press just embarrassing themselves all weekend again. Uh, yeah, covered a lot of ground. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Uh, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you want to support the show, hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash NoGimmicksPodcast. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Nate Madden. All right, guys, we're here with Nate Madden from The Blaze. Nate, my brother, thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for having me, man. How you been? I've been good, dude. I've been good. It's been a, it's been a couple months, I think. Far overdue for another uh, Nate yeah, Madden appearance awesome. here on the podcast. Somewhere in there. You know, I honestly believe I think the last time I spoke to you was during August recess, and here you've caught me on a Monday where neither the House or the Senate are in, so... <laughs> Don't have shit to do. It speaks to how little time... <laughs> it speaks to how little time congressmen actually spend taking care of business in this city. Well, but anyway... Since there's nothing going on on Capitol Hill right now, uh, let's take some time, Nate, to dunk on our friends over in the press. Um, uh, Always. It, it's not been a, a stellar week for those that in what used to be called the mainstream media. I call them the corporate press now because there's nothing mainstream about these ridiculous children. Um, so, look, I, I we both just looked up why this is happening, but when I woke up this morning, I noticed that Richard Spencer was trending number one on Twitter again. Um, apparently, he's doing Richard Spencer things again. I don't, I don't know why we should be shocked at that. Yeah. No, yeah, so apparently, like, there's... I, I had to look this up, too, because I, I just couldn't figure out what exactly would, would, would precipitate trying to make news out of this guy again. And somebody caught him saying racist things on camera. Well, okay, they're they're more explicitly racist than the, the other racist things that he said on camera before. So what, is, is the news cycle this slow, this month? Is actually what we're dealing with? I'll actually say yes. It's it's actually pretty damn slow. <laughs> um, but like, this is what happens. This is, you know, like, like if you... This is not a plug. This is just a, a useful terminology thing. Like read, like, like read Mark Levin's book on freedom of the press. Like when he gets to the section where he talks about non-events, you know, like where you just make crap up to cover and just you know something that's not newsworthy, you make it newsworthy because you have nothing else to write about and you need content. Racist guys says racist thing is the definition of a non-event. Have you? Oh, sorry, pseudo event. Yeah, pseudo event. Had you heard of Richard Spencer before the mainstream media made him no. a thing? No, they started making him a thing, and then like, no, I mean, the most frustrating thing was like, oh, what was it? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think the 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 most symbolic, quintessential mainstream media coverage I've ever seen of this guy and the people behind him was the one where like it was like January 2017, and he had like 150 people in a room in D.C. 
they covered it like it was this massive gathering of alt-right folks and you know and white supremacists and everything else it was it was a hundred it was like 150 people no no in no no, 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 no you got the numbers wrong nate it was 75 people in the room and 150 journalists covering it two journalists <laughs> per attendee <laughs> for richard spencer's little racist fest or whatever that's the hell right doing. yeah that's right yeah and they framed the cameras to make it look like the, like the banquet hall was full when you had like what well, is this real like a t- timeshare present like the equivalent of a timeshare presentation at a hotel right like this right. Is, but that's just that's just so that is the that is the archetypal narrative of the media's coverage of this guy and really like i mean almost the entirety of of, of a lot of these different right movements and people and everything else but you know we need pseudo events on slow days right and it's, not, it's not like richard spencer I mean, obviously, he's like like you just said, he's completely irrelevant. He's you know got seventy five kids to crawl out of their grandmother's basement and go chant stuff about the Jews or whatever. But uh, I mean, he's not a mainstream part of the right. He's not even on the right. I mean, he's a socialist. One, he's a you know no, yeah, he's like... yeah. I mean, he he basically wants Liz Warren economics, but only for white people, I suppose, something like that. But you know, he's not like yes, accepted he's a in any nationalistic part. socialist, right? A national socialist, a... which is still a you know, socialist yeah but it's like you know but if, if you want to call him a part of the right which isn't really accurate but if you want to you know give into the oh. left-wing narrative that he's part of the right like we make fun of those extremists on the right and we cast them out of our movement we cast them out of polite society and we you know we, we make fun of them on the left they elect their extremists to congress <laughs> I mean, like bernie, yeah, Ber- bernie sanders like was... ideology is just as evil as richard spencer's I mean, Richard Spencer you wants can... black people to be slaves. Bernie Sanders wants everyone to be a slave to the state. And that's just as evil as what Richard Spencer believes. He's, anti... a, he's a fucking senator. But even speaking more to the anti-Semitic stuff, I mean... Oh, like, yeah. You can say pretty much on the left, you can say whatever the hell you want about about Jews, the state of Israel, everything else. You, you, you can still pretty much get elected. You know, you can compare Jews. The term will take them forever to disavow and censure and everything else. But, yeah. I mean, there's there's just such a double standard when it comes to this stuff. It's a joke, man. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Ilhan Omar has, has said things just as inflammatory, just as evil as Richard Spencer. But, you know, she's a member of Congress making 175 grand a year off of taxpayers. And, you know, Richard Spencer's a weird loser who <laughs> nobody takes seriously. Yeah. So, yeah, a huge double standard there. But moving on to another thing. Another. <laughs> oh my God. I, I feel like all I do is talk about the press lately, but we have to. Brian Stelter, yeah. the most annoying man on the face of the earth, with the most ridiculous speaking voice on the face of the earth, host of ironically named Reliable Sources over on CNN, which is supposed to be like a media watchdog kind of show. Yeah, like the supposedly. Yeah, like the Howie Kurtz of, of you know on Fox News does his show. So it's hilarious. I <laughs> I can't think of anybody more unqualified than Brian Stelter to host something like that. But he spent his entire show yesterday complaining about trump's typos on twitter like yeah i'm not making that up like that he spent an hour bitching about trump's typos on twitter your thoughts i don't like i i don't know what else to, like this is i don't know it's just mind-blowing that this is what we spend time on because here's the thing if you look he's all, he's done stuff on this before it's like you know why, why the president's spelling mistakes matter and blah 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 i think he did it in like april 2018 but is there have you really just run out of ammo? I mean, well, 
here's the thing too. When you have to go after the same guy all the time, regardless of what it's on, eventually you're going to have to recycle a few spelling mistake segments. If you're going to be so primarily focused on being anti-Trump all the friggin' time. I mean, this is just, this is just more of the same. Like people make spelling mistakes. People tweet spelling mistakes. You don't see the same scrutiny applied to the, you know, the 500, like just the legion of boomers who make spelling mistakes using their own using their own uh, Twitter handles and everything else there, there's, you know, there's a handful of them and they do it. They do screw up. But again, like I keep coming back to the term, term pseudo event. We're just, everyone knows the president makes spelling mistakes. You're trying to make more than it is because of course, like you've got Jeff Zucker on your 9am call every friggin' morning telling you that you've got to bash Trump and bash Trump and bash Trump. And so you end up with this crap. Yeah, you know, I'd feel worse about it if more people were actually watching CNN, right, but they're not. Right? Yeah, nobody's. You know, if a tree falls in the woods, doesn't really make a sound. But what what did he do? What did Brian Stelter do before Trump was elected? Like, I'm not a CNN watcher, obviously, so I, I don't really know. But what like yeah, what what I, is he going to do once Trump leaves office? Like nothing. Like, are they just going to sit there in silence for 24 hours a day on CNN? Like, what the hell are they going to have to talk about? I mean, there was kind of that fear on kind of that fear uh, for for a brief brief moment. You know, I know in like conservative circles, it's like you don't have Obama doing ridiculous stuff with the federal government and saying ridiculous stuff every single day to to, to write about and you know and to inform your readers of what are we going to do during a Trump administration? Oh well, we're going to have a nonstop coup attempt. Okay, so right. we'll have that to write about. As far as what Brian Stelter is going to do once, you know. I mean, probably do what everyone did between Bush and Trump, and that you know, just take a big long nap. Um, you know, as soon as the next Democrat goes into office. Don't these people just look small, man? Like these people just look so small, like they're, they're like petulant little children. I mean, look, last week, I mean, we're only a week removed from President Trump announcing the killing of the top two ISIS leaders, right? We killed, yes. we killed the most wanted man on the planet and his number two guy. Okay, huge win. I mean, huge win for for freedom, huge win for the United States, for the West, for free people everywhere, right? You know, and he just, what, uh, 48 hours ago, a, a new jobs report was released that shattered all expectations for the quarter. And this is, <laughs> this is Brian Stelter's response, is to run a full hour on Kofefi. You know what I mean? It's like, these people just look so small to me. Like, they look so weak and weird and dumb and deeply unserious and i have to imagine i have to imagine the voters see through this bullshit as well well yeah it's you know it's the equivalent you you see the guy on the movie he's kind of the screw up he's like yeah the bad guy's coming and he empties the magazine at the bad guy and everything misses so all he can do is throw the gun this is throwing the gun <laughs> like <laughs> i i don't know that there's anything really else to say about this it's just <laughs> like this is what we've come to expect and you know like I guess you're always going to have that crowd of people who are just, again, they're true believers and they are willing to accept, uh, you know, any and all negative Trump coverage as news all the time. You know, we have our own equivalents on the right, but, you know, I, I, but, I brought this up when I was chatting with uh, Jim Garrity last week and, and it's, it's gone beyond like this infection in the press, like this Trump derangement syndrome has gone past the, the usual suspects of Brian Stelter and, and, you know, guys like that and Jake Tapper and people like this. But it's like Chris Wallace on, on Fox, who, you know, he's a left-wing guy, but he's at least a serious person. Like, he's at least a serious human that, like, takes his job seriously. 
or at least attempts to, you know? Um, yeah. And he was whining and crying at Vice President Mike Pence on his show last week, saying, why didn't you ask Nancy Pelosi's permission to kill Baghdadi? Why didn't you ask Nancy Pelosi's permission? It's like, what? What? He was just, like, pestering the vice yep. president and, like, pretending that Nancy Pelosi's the commander-in-chief of the American Armed Forces or something. It's like Chris... Like, it's infected Chris Wallace. Like, he was one of the... I mean, not... I don't want to say fair, because he is a left-wing guy, but, like, he was at least a respected, serious journalist. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's beyond the Brian Stelters of the world. Yeah. I mean... I remember over the weekend, I, I was you know, flipping through Hulu just to have some background noise on. I was going through some, like some ten or twelve year old Family Guy. All right, it's like we're talking like Bush era Family Guy, like late Bush era Family Guy. And one of the jokes on there, you know, one of the cutaway jokes, it goes to, it goes to, <clears throat> oh my gosh, Chris Matthews. Sorry, it goes to Chris Matthews, and then the joke is that like Chris Matthews is actually grilling Harry Reid, and you know, I'm sitting there watching this, thinking like, oh. I guess 10, 12, 13 years ago, whenever this episode came up, you know, and the joke was that the, the actual like picture and picture thing was inside uh, Matthews's forehead because it's, it's pretty big. Right, but, right. Um, that's the Seth MacFarlane joke. But it's like, I can't imagine like even like, like I, I can't imagine even joking about somebody on like, I can't imagine Matthews doing that now. I can't imagine anybody on his network doing that now. I can't imagine looking anywhere but Fox. Um, well, no, and you can't say that because most like most Democrats, they won't go on on like Foxes or Blaze TVs or anywhere else because they don't want to get grilled. And they just flat out think they don't have to. But can you imagine, like, can you imagine a Democrat getting on talking about, about literally anything and getting getting a full-on old-school actual journalistic grilling? No, I can't imagine. I can't remember the last time. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think through because I do watch or at least skim through, watch the highlights of the, of I can the Sunday think of, programs. And I can think of one example. Uh, it was CNN a few weeks ago. It was before uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke got out of the presidential thing, and one of the hosts just flat out asks him, "Do you think mass shooters are going to comply with a gun confiscation program?" And I think that was like the lone example um, that, that 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 comes to mind. But you just don't see it that often anymore. How when I was putting together my <sighs> you don't expect it. I don't know how this morning when I was putting together my show notes that I forgot the best news of the weekend that Robert Francis O'Rourke, the furry himself <laughs> has dropped out of the presidential race. I apologize to the audience. I apologize to you, Nate. We got to hit that one a little bit. We got to just change gears right now. Rest, I mean, rest I got a case of Mondays. Rest in peace. Beta O'Rourke's yeah, presidential I, I, campaign. My God, it went nowhere. I have to admit, I had a case of the Mondays too, and I completely forgot about it. Just like you wake up Monday and you're, you start off already behind on this stuff, and it happened like Friday afternoon when I'm. What's wrong with like, us, Nate? What I'm disappointed in myself. Oh. I've got a toddler at home. I don't. I don't I've have got a kids. Excuse. <laughs> I'm in a perpetual state of exhaustion. I forget a lot of crap. Uh, <laughs> and I was actually watching my toddler at the time that broke, and so all I could do was just like throw out a retweet. <laughs> just like I can't write this up. I've got like a kid trying to you know you know I've got a kid trying to you know destroy you know the house we live in and herself in the process, oh, gotcha. which is, which is what watch, which is what watching a 15, 16 year old, 16 month old is. Um, it sounds a lot like a Beto O'Rourke campaign. Yeah. 
Try to actually for the most part, the yeah, country like and tear- himself all at the same time. Well, destroy at least the Democratic, destroy his own party and himself at the time. Because, I mean, he, he was failing, and he was failing and failing and failing for months. And he tried to revive his campaign by staking out these absolutely suicidal, insane positions on, hell yeah, we're going to confiscate your guns and be unapologetic about it. And hell yeah, we're going conf- to punitively tax your religious organizations if you don't agree with, you know, with whatever the latest phase of woke liberalism that we put, give you is, you know. That I, I think there was there was a twofold purpose. Like one, just to to generate attention and hopefully try to crawl his way out of single digit polling numbers, which obviously never ever ever worked. And the other one was so that people would stop asking him when he was, was going to drop out and run against John Cornyn, which he there's no sane person would attempt to do at this point. No, and I mean John Cornyn. I mean I love Ted Cruz, but John Cornyn's a lot more popular in Texas than Ted Cruz is. So I mean, yeah, it, Beto wouldn't. He, he lost to Cruz by three points. He'd lose to Cornyn by twelve. I just, uh, I just hope when it comes to when it comes to Cornyn's general, I, I really hope they just reprise the big bad John campaign ad from the last time around. Because if you haven't seen that, if you haven't seen the big bad John Cornyn um, video ad that they did for the twenty fourteen cycle, you really, really, really need to take the time and go Google that because it is. It is so, so extra. I think, like, millennial speak, extra is the only way I can think to describe this. It's like a full-on spaghetti western, you know, dramatic production oh, crammed into <laughs> crammed into a uh, into a political ad. But, uh, you know, make that your afternoon your afternoon YouTube search. But it's, yeah, plenty entertaining. But <sighs> Peter O'Rourke, between his uh, Senate campaign... Um, last year and his presidential campaign has spent $90 million. $90 million. $90 million to, be, to lose your job and to become the butt of jokes and have everybody call you a furry. That's steep. Well, That's steep. I mean, well, he may have never gotten to be president, but at least he got to run a massive, unsuccessful, unproductive jobs program for a while. So there was that. Who, uh, which Democratic contender do you think will pick up his 15 supporters? <laughs> Pete Buttigieg, because oh, he's also young and annoying, like Beto. I don't or, know. You know. I, I don't know if like the young and annoying vote plays here, or if like the the extreme progressive vote goes there, or if like the like the prog bro, like if there's like a bro vote implicit in this that goes to Gabbard. I honestly can't tell like what his coalition was supposed to be because it was so friggin' small. But um, I, I honestly can't tell you where they all go. But, uh, you know. Well, good luck to our friends over in the Democratic Party, you know, picking a new horse. Uh, real horse, not a guy in a horse suit like Beto. Um, all right, so let's talk a little or bit. Or the guy. Let's talk a little bit about the whole impeachment inquiry. I, I've basically ignored it on the podcast uh, because there hasn't been an impeachment inquiry. Like, we've been hearing about it for months. And my only response is like, what impeachment inquiry? Because uh, that's not a thing that existed until a few days ago when the House actually voted to open an impeachment inquiry. Uh, they were kind of just pretending for the last couple months. But now the, the, the House did vote to open an impeachment inquiry. Uh, no, no Republicans voted for it. Uh, two Democrats actually defected and voted against it. Uh, Justin Amash's pompous ass uh, also voted for it. Man, how the mighty have fallen over there. I really used to like that guy. But... um. So where 
obviously I'm sure you're burned out talking about it. You cover Congress for a living. Um, and that's kind of the only thing that's been talked about on Capitol Hill for months. But I, I think the Democrats have really fucked up the timing here. I mean, obviously nobody, nobody in their right mind except for communists and David French um, <laughs> believe that Trump has actually done something impeachable. Uh, I doubt the American people think that Trump has done something impeachable. This is just about defeating him in 2020. Uh, but I think they just messed up the timing, man. Like they should have done it like right when they they took back the House to like kind of prevent Trump from getting anything done or they should have waited until like next October to try to like bog his campaign down with this or something. But I don't know, man, like I think it's all going to be over with in a few months. Obviously the Senate will, won't go along with this nonsense. And then we'll go back to hearing the Democrats make gaffes from, you know, February until November. So I just, I don't, the timing just seems dumb to me. I, I don't know. Where, where are you at with this? So if it were my job to justify this, yeah, you know, for my job to, to write the press release justifying the timing on it, all, all this. I mean, they got, you know, the whoever it was at the CIA. You know, the the reports are still unconfirmed. You know, so I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but you know, the 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 federal employee in this case, you know, reached out when he did. Uh, he said, you know, then sent a complaint August 12th. They knew that this was coming, so they they knew they were going to have to react to it. Um, and I don't think anybody would have. I think they realized, perhaps, that if they tried to hold this and time it correctly in time, you know, time the release of this and, and you know, leak it at, at an opportune time for this all to con- con- coincide more with the general after the, uh, after the conventions in the summer and things like that, I think people would have sniffed that out in a hurry. Or if you wait too long, you wait, you're waiting almost a year in that case, and people just don't care. Right. Because uh, it's already a year old. It's stale. You've already gone through another round of appropriations at that point. As far as preventing Trump from doing anything, I don't. I, I, I honestly think that Pelosi made the calculated choice that she just didn't have the uh, the votes for it up until she agreed to do this. And this, the, you know, this is what the the strategy that Republicans were accusing her of all along was that we're going to get out over our skis on this thing, and then balance once we can generate the popular will to protect all of our flip seats and our vote. House freshmen and the moderates and everything else, and they only lost two moderates on that vote, or they, you know, they only lost two vulnerable, two vulnerable members on that vote. And so I think that calculation worked out correctly. As far as like the timing, what you can do in this situation is, you know, there, there's talk about, oh, will this be done in December? Will it be done? You know, will it bleed into the election year in January or February? They can have this bleed in as far as they absolutely want. They can, you know. Pelosi's leaving the door open to that. She did an interview with Bloomberg Friday where she pointed out, well, you know, I'm not going to commit to any. T- timelines, you know, the, the investigation lead where it leads, you know, they can keep finding new leads and they can, they've proven, the Democrats have proven they can keep investigating crap for years on end. So you have the one option just to keep digging up whatever you can and pulling whatever threads you can, you can find in these depositions and, and everything else to keep going. The other one is <clears throat> you can, at some point in there, if you want to, uh, before the general election, kick this over to the Senate, who's not going to accept it, um, you know, you're not going to have enough to uh, you're just simply not going to get enough uh, defecting Republicans over there to convict. And I think everybody realizes that unless you know, there's something absolutely tremendously legitimately damning that actually meets the requirement of a high crime or a misdemeanor. You know, as it stands, uh, I think you're you send it over to the Senate. They don't convict. And then you can spend the rest of your presidential House and Senate cycle 
articles talking about how you need to vote for people, not based on the issues, not based on the Medicare for all plan that we can't agree on how to pay for, not based on the gun control thing that doesn't seem to be that, that clearly doesn't work well because O'Rourke and Swalwell are out, you know, not running on any of these different things that are really, really popular with our far left crowd. We just need to get a general consensus on somebody needs to get Trump out. So that way we don't have to run on policy. We can just run on Trump. Uh, you can make the case that the Senate failed us, and then you can make all these you can you can use that against all these other Republican Senate races. And I, I, th- I think they can make the timing work if they want to. They can turn this into a talking point for the rest of the election just as soon as the Senate doesn't convict the president after the House does. That is, you know, if they want to go that route. The other option is they can just keep trying him in the house and continue the uh, just continue the investigation as it benefits them and they can honestly they might not ever actually come to a vote yeah yeah the um, thing is but robert Mueller spent three years and 50 million dollars investigating trump and got nothing i mean like I, how much more is there to investigate i mean the, the entire ukraine thing the the transcript is out there i mean tr- tr- trump published the transcript of the calls so it's like I, if, if the special counsel found nothing and spent three years and, and whatever it was, $40, 50000000 million to find nothing, how the hell are they going to drag this out for this long? Like I, And honestly, I think the, the communist side of the, of the Democratic Party are going to be working against Nancy Pelosi, too, because like the AOC, Ilhan Omar, you know, the, the anti-Semitic communist crowd, they're going to be pushing to get this vote as soon as possible. I mean, they want to vote on impeachment. They want it on the record. Like, I doubt yeah. I doubt that Nancy Pelosi wants all this on the record, but they do. So, I mean, they're going to be pushing to, to have this vote as soon as physically possible as well, which is going to be working against probably what the, the larger Democratic Party wants. Oh, yeah. It's just really hard to say at this point. I... Uh... I've been watching this and I've made it again. I I tell this to everybody. I, it's hard to make predictions in an era where politics doesn't make sense anymore, where nothing, where nothing really has to make sense. Right. You know, like, you know, it's always been kind of, you know, whose line is it anyway? We, uh, you know, the rules are made up and the points don't matter. And that's been taken kind of to an extreme, especially on this impeachment thing. Um, I, I say it's a like, and I only say it's a fifty-fifty shot either way on either of these two paths, just simply because I cannot, for the life of me, predict which way this thing is going to go as it progresses on. And I think it completely depends on what the public reaction. So they released the transcripts like five minutes before we went online to record this, um, or they re- started releasing some of the transcripts from those closed-door depositions. I think you know this is going to go um, as far as they realize they can milk it. You know, how far do Democrats think they can drive this thing? Well. They managed to milk three years out of a special prosecutor's investigation. So they've got one year left until an election. Um, maybe we'll, see. we'll just have to see how far they think they, they can go. One more question before I let you go, Nate. Uh, and this was actually hilarious. The RNC <laughs> sent moving boxes to like 50 or 60 Democratic congressmen who, you know, yeah. who you know, represent districts that Trump won in 2016. Uh, obviously that's hilarious. Um, after they voted in favor of, of the impeachment mm-hmm. inquiry, I do see, I absolutely do. I'm not, you know, predicting that the GOP will win back, uh, the house. Um, I, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. There's no way to tell this far out, but I definitely could see a, a scenario where a lot of these swing districts, suburban Democrats in, in red districts lose their job 
because of the, you know, they were forced to put it in writing that they want to impeach the president. And I, I don't know, man, with, with swing voters, with independents, historically impeachment has not been very popular. Um, I, I can see a scenario where it really hurts the, the Democrats, man. I, <clears throat> I could see it as well. At the same time, I guess that there's just this big question. There's always just this massive question over what the hell are the suburbs going to do? What the hell are the suburbs going to do? Um, and I don't think I ever, like, even I have an answer for this just because like, again, like we're, we're living in an era where the, all the points are made up and, and, it, and it doesn't really matter. We've got to see like, I can see this definitely hurting them, uh, especially if this goes on and they, they don't really find anything new. Uh, you know, if it gets to a point where they're just making a flat out what, you know, what, uh, George Mason called the ma- maladministration claim where they're just like, we're just impeaching something because of some legal stuff that we didn't like that he did. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge point of embarrassment. <sighs> but I mean, 2016 was such a surprise because nobody, you know, just a lot of people just didn't want to admit that they were going to, going to vote for president, vote for Donald Trump for president. I think, you know, I'm leaving the door open where we've, we've got an entire freaking year on this thing. And, uh, I mean, I can't even tell you who's going to come out of the democratic, that, that clown show of a democratic contest right now. Um, I, it might hurt him, but I think it'll depend on what the president's, how long the president's coattails actually are. I going to give you a short answer. I agree with you. And uh, folks, you heard it here first. Who the hell knows what's going to happen <laughs> exactly. next year. And if anybody is giving you concrete predictions, you should probably ignore them and uh, stop listening to that person immediately. Because boy, oh boy, yesterday marked uh, one year out from the next presidential election and it's going to feel longer, Nate. It's going to feel. It's going to be a long year. It is going to be. It's going to be a long year, my friend. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing. Uh, th- th- I do remember a data point. What we're seeing is that there was a poll a few days ago that shows that you know, in these key swing states, in these key battleground states that we're going into, and I can't off the top of my hand remember you know which list of five or six of them they were that shows that you know impeachment is less popular in these five states than it is against a national average. Which of course, national a- averages are going to be population base which are going to uh favor towards you know big blue urban areas on the coasts i i would definitely keep an eye on that i would definitely keep an eye on just the responses in that section uh and the responses to impeachment that we see on that front so uh watch the swing states definitely all right that's all i got um nate thanks so much for doing this again man i'm sure i'll talk to you soon it's always a good time talking to you everybody follow nate at nate on the hill um for minute to minute goings on on capitol hill uh obviously not today because uh, there's really nothing going on on Capitol Hill this week. But follow Nate at Nate on the Hill. Check out the blaze, theblaze.com. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.